Hello, everybody. Hey, it's working. The reason why uh -huh. I say that is you not <laughs> believe the incredible opposition that we have had today in recording this podcast. And you get to hear a blooper at the end of some of the things that we went through. So we are so excited to be here and the technology is working. So yay. I will insert right here after the fact. We did have a few technical difficulties and some of the segments weren't recorded in the original recording. So we have inserted them back in just so you know when the audio changes. That's what happened. <laughs> so back to the podcast episode. All right. So this is the Alive Again podcast, episode number one. And... This is my podcast partner, Tyson. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Sure. My name's Tyson Thompson, as previously stated. Uh, and um, I am number one, son of God. Uh, and I am so grateful to know who my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. And um, I have an awesome wife. Uh, we've been married for, she's going to beat me up if I get this wrong, but I think 16 years. Um, we have three kids, two, uh, we have twins that are 11, and then little Piper is five. And my family means the world to me. Um, my everything. Uh, I am getting ready to retire from the military, um, which has been a challenge, um, partially because I wasn't ready to do it, but um, the Lord has other I'm learning to submit to that. Uh, I currently reside in North Miles from the Canadian border, so I am way up in the North, but not as far North as you are. <laughs> Yep, that's right. I am up here in Alaska, and I'm so excited that we have this technology to be able to work on this podcast together. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, my name is Amy Verhagen, for any of you who are new to following me. And I just got to say, before I go into my personal introduction, it has been so miraculous how this podcast has come about. I honestly did not have intention to start a podcast anytime soon. Um, most of you who have been following me for a while know that I've been talking about writing a book and that is still in the works, but there's been lots of complications. <laughs> and so it's pretty inspired to have all this fallen into place because I feel like I can speak a lot more um, through, well, I can convey a lot more through speaking than I can through writing, at least at a quicker pace. So out of my deep desire and passion to get this information out there, Tyson and I have been able to pair up to be able to partner on this podcast and get the information out quicker than either of us could write it. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. My wife's been trying to get me to, do, to write a book and tell my story for a while. And um, to be honest, I've done the same thing. I kind of sat down and 
it's a challenge to get your words out there that way. So maybe I should dictate my book and maybe, maybe some of that dictation will come from these, from these podcasts. We'll see. Yes, I totally agree. That's awesome. (laughs) It's been a miracle to be able to work with Tyson and share our experiences dealing with mental illness and the tools and the power that we've been able to find to combat those forces. And so that's why we're here today. Like I said, my name is Amy Verhagen. I grew up all over the world and eventually ended up going to university at Brigham Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me to set me up for the rest of my life because I studied health and wellness and really got into the arena of nutrition and wellness in general. And I could nerd out about health and wellness all day. It's been um, about six years since I graduated, but I tell people that my degree really started once I graduated. And honestly, struggling with depression and mental illness has taught me way more in depth about how our bodies work, how our minds work. So I'm super excited to be able to share everything that I've learned through this journey and to have Tyson on here as my podcast partner so that we can share from our different perspectives. I love it. One thing I just want to say is I I really like that we both had personal experience with this um, because I don't know, I, I think you could probably go listen to a hundred podcasts from clinicians and they definitely have their place. I just saw my counselor today. So shout out to Peter, but I think having people who've been in the trenches um, for a military analogy and then have come to a place where they're, um, they're battling uh, maybe they have, we have the upper hand in the battle finally. Um, and there's some strategies that we've applied and to be able to share that in a personal way, I think is, is powerful. So I'm super grateful that Amy, that you invited me to be involved. Yeah. Thank you so much. So Tyson, would you tell me a little bit about how your journey with mental illness started? Sure. Uh, I grew up in some pretty rough scenarios, particularly early uh, in my life. Um, I suffered quite a bit of abuse, um, the major three, um, physical, sexual, and emotional. Um, And so that trauma, uh, man, I I mean, I can't remember a time where I didn't depression or anxiety. Um, And... So, so it's kind of always been this companion, although for years and years, I didn't know what it was. I just thought everybody lived that way. You know what I mean? Um, And then uh, I kind of got the upper hand sort of by running really hard. um, Literally. Um, I put my body through, through a lot um, from a physical exercise perspective and, I guess I should back up, um, turning from my roots, uh, in my late teens and early twenties, I, I kind of went out into the world and tried to mask what I was dealing with, with, um, with addiction, um, a little bit. 
and that didn't work out very well. So then I decided I'm going to join the military, <coughs> excuse me. And that became my new addiction, um, which was a lot more positive than my other challenges that I had, but I still never dealt with the root cause. And so I, uh, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2011, um, came back, uh, was working physically really hard to try to go to some special warfare schools and some special leadership schools. And, um, and then kind of right when I was hitting my stride in that training and getting prepared to go to those schools, my battle buddy from Afghanistan killed himself. And that, uh, that really took me back. I realized I'd been stuffing a lot of stuff down inside that uh, I needed to deal with, not just from combat trauma. Obviously, that was actually the catalyst, the biggest part of it. Um, but uh, I had managed pretty well uh, as a person. It was was really that, I would say, a very thick layer of icing on the cake of, of combat trauma and then losing my battle buddy who I experienced combat trauma with his suicide that stepped me back and I was like, holy smokes. I, and the thing was is that I had had a, a short stint of a career in the mental health world as an inpatient so I knew the signs and symptoms, but I sort of ignored them in myself, I guess. Um, anyway, that brought me to a place where I knew I had a problem and I knew I needed to deal with it. I guess to paint a picture really quickly so that you can kind of connect with it. The moment of clarity was when I was, and I know you have a moment of clarity that you'll share, Amy, but I was standing uh, at the graveside um, of my buddy, Paul, uh, saluting his casket, um, in the procession, um, with my, I can see now clearly in the corner of my eye and my mind's eye, my ribbons and medals that I earned with him in our time in Afghanistan. And I felt nothing. I'm actually feeling more emotion about it now sharing it than I felt that day. I was numb. And, um, and actually, I had thoughts go through my mind of, I hope I didn't make it home. Um, you know, I, I even witnessed his own mother um, laying, she was, she's actually, and she had to leave the country after his funeral. And I remember driving out of the cemetery, one of the last people to leave and seeing her laying prostate on his grave, clenching the dirt and the sod and just weeping uncontrollably. And I still felt nothing. I mean, it's, it's, if I didn't know better, I'd be ashamed that I didn't feel anything at all. Uh, I was just numb. I just, it was very surreal um, and not a place I ever want to be again. Um, so I'm grateful, thankfully that back alive again, I'm to a place where I can feel about that um, and those circumstances. So that's kind of my story, my journey of how I got here. Yeah, wow. That is really deep. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I think you touched on a lot of things that many people can relate if they've struggled with mental, mental illness, illness, regardless of how it has surfaced, whether it's PTSD or anxiety or depression or, or any other ones. Um, just that kind of surreal feeling it you're like there but not and it's so hard to connect 
with the experiences going on around you. And that's pretty, a pretty distressing place to be. Um, I'll share a little bit more about my story too. And it started actually as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I, so I grew up, like I said, I was overseas. It was an amazing childhood. I had no signs or symptoms of mental illness. I was one of those happy-go-lucky children. So I, I actually really appreciate um, the contrast between our stories because both of us can touch on these topics from a completely different perspective. Um, but I was literally one of those people who, when I would encounter someone struggling with depression, I thought, um, can't you just like think positively <laughs> or, you know, go out and serve someone, you'll feel better. Like I was that person. And I am very glad to say I have totally changed <laughs> my perspective, having gone through it myself. We call that um, repentance. Yes. yes, thank you. So that's, yes, that's where I was at the time. Um, but like I said, when I went to go serve a mission, it totally took me by surprise. I got hit with depression completely out of nowhere. Well, looking back, now I can see the perfect storm that was waiting to happen. So with hindsight, I can see what was going on. But at the time, I had no idea what hit me, except that I had read about depression in a textbook and knew the symptoms because of the classes that I had been through. And um, actually, I was sitting in a class at BYU that was a missionary preparation course. And we had a whole entire section or class one day on how sometimes missionaries struggle with depression and how to cope with it. And I literally had the thought during that lecture, good thing I'll never have to deal with that. That's the kiss well, of death. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the Lord had different plans and um, allowed me to go through this struggle, I believe, so that I could be able to find my way out and become a warrior to help fight for other people and help them find a way out. So going back to the story, um, I got on my mission and within a few weeks, like it was so fast that it hit me. Um, I already within the first few weeks started struggling with suicidal thoughts and that really took me by surprise the most vivid moment that i can remember was standing in front of my mirror and i believe many people who have struggled with mental illness can relate to this but i was looking at myself in the mirror and all i could see was just a shell of a person like I was looking into my own eyes and I couldn't see anything. Like I wasn't there. I was just empty. And that was pretty distressing and excruciating. I literally did not know where myself had gone. And I wanted myself back, but I, I didn't know what had happened. 
And right as I was in this moment, wondering where I had gone, the thought slinked across my mind, if life was going to be this excruciating, I'd rather not live it. I wanted to be out of the game. Wow. And that really surprised me. I, I had heard other people's stories about, you know, battling suicidal thoughts, but I honestly did not know mine would come that quickly and that I honestly considered getting out of the game that quick. Wow. But it was incredible because right as soon as I was having this internal dialogue, I heard a voice as clear as day say, you have important work to do in this life. You can't afford to think this way. And those were the best words that I ever could have heard at that time. I learned two lessons from those words. The first was that it was a choice to entertain those suicidal thoughts and that there was another way out. Um, there was a way to get better. The second thing was that if I was going to accomplish this mission, I needed to figure out how to fight this battle and I needed to conquer it. If I was going to be able to get myself back and complete the mission that the Lord needed me to complete. And I'm not even talking about my full-time missionary service as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That message was to me about my life mission. And so that's the one thing that I really want to convey to other people is that the adversary is real and each one of you listening. And yes, I'm talking to every single one of you. Each of you have a really critical mission to fulfill on this earth that the adversary does not want you to fulfill and he is trying to take you out of the game he's made it uh his work and his glory uh opposite of the heavenly fathers to stop you from doing that mission and stop you from from your <clears throat> your designed um destiny yes completely and it was probably the perfect storm as well to have me um, struggle with mental illness, depression on my mission, because I knew three things for sure. I knew that I was in the right place. I knew that I was there at the right time. And I knew that I was doing the best that I could do. I was being the best that I could be and had been at any point in my life. And so that gave me a slight technical advantage because had I began my struggle with depression anywhere else, say at college or um, when I first got married or whatever, I would have seriously doubted myself and just thought something's gone wrong. I must have done something wrong. You know, all of these things, even though those were going on in my mind, I could not deny that I was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing to the best of my ability. And I knew that God was there watching over me 
And so that alone helped me to be able to figure things out and know that there were other answers out there, that it wasn't because I had somehow messed up on my life plan. So that's like, that was a huge gift. <laughs> yeah. And that's a critical understanding. Um, I, just like you said, I, I really like the fact that, um, that we do come from two different backgrounds because even though we do have two opposite backgrounds on how we got, how we got to the place where we were debilitated by mental illness, by depression, particularly um, is it, it, there's no difference. I mean, we, our, our, our disabled state, right. There, there's almost no differentiation. There really isn't between how I got there and how you got there. Um, or, I mean, the effect that it had, I guess, on us. There is a differentiation on how we got there, but that really is, it doesn't even matter. Because all of a sudden, uh, you know, I, I liken it to, uh, to being in Afghanistan with Paul, right? We came, he came from a completely different background. He grew up in a completely different continent. Um, and so for him and I to be in this place together, um, going through the same hell, uh, when, yep. when the mortars were flying, it didn't really matter anymore. Right. All that mattered was, is that he was in the same place I was. And I think that that's a key to, uh, and I, I hate to go off on a tangent here. I won't go too far, but I think that's a key <laughs> to come to that place where we stop comparing ourselves. Um, that is, you know, my story is different than your story, but it's just different. It's not, you know, it's not that my story has has more to it or your story has less to it. There, there are story to stay away from Satan's plan of, hey, compare yourself and, oh, it's not really that bad and, and minimize, right? Like he, anything he could do to get us to minimize what we're experiencing, try to yes. on our own push our way through it um, is, is plays right into his hands. Mm-hmm. Yes. I really appreciate that you brought that up um, because one thing that actually helped me get out was because, well, okay, there's a couple, a couple things that started. So first of all, on my mission, um, I was under really good care. So my mission president was a doctor and he knew exactly how to handle the situation and was super supportive. Um, and he got me a, a counselor and um, I got on medication. And that was, um, well, that's a story for another time. I have a lot to say about <laughs> therapy and medication, all that on both sides, um, either taking it or not. But right. um, when I, so I was starting to feel a little bit better. I was feeling a little bit relief, but it was kind of crazy because my mission president, um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with um, missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have companions and we switch out. Um, well, they're on cycles of every six weeks. You might get switched out to a new area or to a new companion or both. So come one of these transfer times, I had actually, it was actually an emergency transfer with another sister because she had had an, a, a physical injury that she needed to be transferred for. 
So I got put with a brand new companion. And as we were sitting in our apartment, getting to know each other, as soon as she had arrived, um, she started to tell me, she's like, well, you know what? I better just get this out there because you're going to find out anyway, but I really struggle with depression. And I was like, oh, really? I am so sorry. You know, and I, I honestly kind of put up this wall, first of all, out of terror, because how were we going to function with two missionaries that struggle with depression? Um, but second <laughs> of all, like, I know it's really funny. Um, but well, anyway, so I, I just started to ask her about it. And I guess because I had struggled myself for a few months already, I knew the right questions to ask. And I even asked her, like, so are you on medication or anything? And she kind of clued in. She's like, you sure know a lot about depression. Like, you just know all the right questions to ask. <laughs> and at <laughs> that point, I couldn't keep it in either. I held up my box of medication. And when she saw, like, all the walls dropped and we just started to talk freely and we wept together because we honestly didn't know how we were going to get through this because we both felt like we needed someone stronger but at the same time it was the best thing that ever could have happened to us because we understood more personally than anyone else what the other person was going through and that was a saving grace for me. That's a God moment right there. Yes. <laughs> so as we supported each other, it was, uh, well, I mean, as we continued this conversation, she started to describe her experience and what it felt like. And all of a sudden, I saw that what I was going through was not just me. She was describing the symptoms that I had been feeling almost to a T. And that's when a light bulb went on to say, whoa, this isn't just me. This is not a personality defect or whatever. These are trackable symptoms that you can see from person to person. And like, I just felt almost this weight come off of me because if she was describing exactly what I had felt, that must mean that it was something that could be understood and addressed and overcome. And it wasn't just that was, it was something wrong with me. That's so awesome. You know, from my personal perspective, um, well, first of all, a scripture that I absolutely love. In fact, taboo, uh, tattoos are a little taboo in our, in our, faith culture, but <laughs> if I could get a, a scriptural verse tattooed on my arm, it would be um, one that says we should waste and wear out our lives drawing darkness into the light, <clears throat> right? Maybe just the phrase draw darkness into the light, but that's what happened, right? Like in that moment, that darkness that was inside of both of you just came out into the light and it's not like it complete, well, in some ways it did completely disappear because then all of a sudden the awkwardness and the, that I've got this thing that nobody's going to understand. Like all of a sudden you're in a room. I remember I did uh, 30 days of inpatient treatment in Portland Oregon for PTSD. And I did it on an all military floor, which is super helpful because 
everyone that was there for the most part um, had had some kind of military experience, most of which, in fact, my group, my trauma group, everybody had combat trauma. And to sit in that room and see, you know, my buddies that are now lifelong friends, one of my buddies, I mean, he's got sleeve tattoos up both arms, right? And this guy's been in the thick of thin things like more times than I can count. Um, had seen his own soldiers die in front of him. I mean, terrible things. And he sent his soldiers into death, um, which is even, I can't, I didn't experience that. But, and, but to see those walls come down and to see this man who I would never in my life, even as big a guy as I am, would wa- I wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe with, right? To see him, to see him weep and go through the emotions and, I wish, I wish our men's group, our elders quorum could be like that sometimes. Like people just come in and just unload, right? And that's, I think, what we're trying to do in this podcast is just draw that darkness into the light and go, look, this is a real thing. And we can either embrace that it happened to us or we can go, yeah, I used to struggle with depression and I took some medication and got some counseling and I'm good now. Or we can look at it as an opportunity to start to try to reach out and help other people. And, and that's really that power. Um, there's nothing like it. I don't feel like anywhere. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'll fast forward a little bit into my story. So um, after I, I was able to complete my mission successfully, which I know is not always the case for missionaries who struggle. And my heart and complete compassion goes out to any of you who may have been in that situation. Um, my, I, 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 I was really blessed to be able to get to a place where I was able to complete my mission. And when I came home, I was I felt so good I was on a really good trajectory I was able to get off my medication I went right back to school and actually the very day that I came home from my mission I met my future husband so it was like a whole lot of amazing things kind of happening all at once so it was a really amazing time I was able to graduate within um, the next year and got married to the absolute man of my dreams. And it was like just an amazing time. So fast forward then to, uh, so my husband's from Alaska and we moved up to Alaska right after our wedding, the year after I got, uh, I mean, the summer that I graduated. And Um, Again, when I was on my mission, my counselor had warned me that because I had been struggling with depression, it was a possibility that it could resurface in the form of postpartum depression. So I was totally aware of that possibility. Um, And my, you know, I had had several talks with my husband and he was completely aware and completely supportive of um, my, you know, my struggle with it before, but with the complete understanding that it was possible that it could come back again, but things were going really well at the time. So, um, shortly after we got married, then we got pregnant and sure enough with that first baby, the postpartum depression came 
pretty quickly, but without me knowing, because it surfaced in a completely different way than it did as a missionary. Like I was looking for the same symptoms as a missionary and because they surfaced differently, I missed the diagnosis for eight whole months. Like I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was because it was just being a new mom was stressful and exhausting, which it is, but like it got to a point where I realized that I was non-functional. And when I was crying at the same time that my baby was crying, there was something wrong and I needed serious help. Yep. <laughs> um, so um, I, I had reached out to you know, several people, but especially my mom, I had gone to visit once during Christmas and we could both tell that something was up. I was losing weight, I, like uh, too much weight. So I was underweight. I was having severe sleep problems and or sleep deprivation, which of course is <laughs> all very natural for new moms. Um, but it was just like we, we went to the doctors to get blood tests and everything and all the tests came back perfect. And that was really frustrating to me because I'm like, I know something was wrong. Something is terribly wrong. But like, you know, the medical tests couldn't place their finger on it. Anyway, um, a the few months later after that, my mom finally approached the subject with me. Well, what if it is postpartum depression? And she sent me a list of the symptoms. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, phew, we can get that off the table. And that was actually a relief to me because I now knew what I was facing and I could start to research and find out more and start actually finding solutions instead of not even knowing what was going on. But there we go, more, more darkness into the light, right? Yes, exactly. And so the point that I was going to get at with bringing it to the light and talking with people like you so eloquently shared with your group, um, as, as people started to share their stories, um, I felt compelled. So I guess I had two friends who, well, one friend who struggled as a missionary. We were on the same mission and so um coming home like I just I felt this really special connection with her and um she had mentioned that she was going to be on this um you know like that they were producing a YouTube video to bring awareness to mental illness in all its varieties and so she invited me to watch that video and I was like yes of course well as I was watching this video, one of my childhood friends was on that video, and I had no idea that she struggled with depression, and I had known her for practically my whole life, and I was like, oh my gosh, so many people are out there, and you just have no idea who is struggling, but when I saw that, I just had this 
strong well first of all I felt tremendous respect to both of them for sharing their story and I think sometimes we're scared to share our story because we think oh people are going to judge me people are going to think less of me they're going to think I'm weak or what's wrong with me but I learned from that experience from them sharing their story on YouTube that I actually really respected them and I felt courage to start to share my story. That was a catalyst for me to feel like it was time for me to start sharing my story. That's, uh, that reminds me of that uh, Marianne Williamson quote. I know um, we've talked about it before, but the one where she says uh, that there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people around us won't feel insecure. Um, You know, it's that it's that, Hey, you know, uh, that willingness to be vulnerable, uh, it is what our light is. And as we let that light shine, as your friends, let that light shine, then it, then it emboldened you to let your light shine too, even though the light you had to share was about a challenge. Right. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when I read that quote, I don't know, the, the, my pessimistic side comes out and I'm like, Oh, so we got to bounce around and be all bubbly. Like, Hey, everybody. Right. All the time. No, that's not what that means. That means that when we struggle, um, we, um, and we let that struggle out and ask other people for help, or we share our story in order to help other people. There's power in that. And I, I did the same thing in the military uh, after I'd gone through my first series of treatment and thought I was all better. Huh, weird. There's, there's another connection, <laughs> right? Uh, then things resurfaced later. But after I was considerably better, I'll say that, um, I, I actually approached the leadership of my wing and I said, hey, um, I want to share my story. And... Um, I did it actually, uh, fate would have it or another God moment. Um, I actually shared my story on video that went to our entire air wing, um, on the day that Paul had killed himself. Oh my goodness. Like I didn't realize it. I was out in the field. Uh, we were doing field training and I was sitting there and all of a sudden I had the realization, why is today? And then I looked down at my watch and I was like, holy smokes. So I actually had to go sit behind this wall and just take a few minutes and kind of collect myself. And then I went, I got in my truck after we got back and dropped our gear off. And I was going to go drive to, um, to our headquarters building and, and film this video. And I couldn't even get there. I had to pull over at a memorial that's there for a plane crash that happened on our, on our base. And, sit there and in my lawn chair that was in the back of my truck um, next to this tree and just weep 20 or 30 minutes. And then I was ready to go to film this video and tell my story. But after I told it, I had so many people um, tell me that they were inspired by it. And then I actually had the commander of our medical group approach me and say, you um, your message today, uh, inspired several people today to raise their hand and say that they've got issues going on and that they are ready finally to get help. And I was like, wow, 
I didn't think it would have that me- immediate ever response. I didn't know if it would have have any effect. And for it to have that an immediate of an effect was was powerful. Wow. <laughs> that is really incredible. I I will continue with like the how catalytic it is when you start sharing your story and listening to other people's story just how healing it is because I had this experience where so you know fast forward a couple uh I don't know I think it was two years forward by then I had had baby number two and got hit even harder the second time with postpartum depression it just sent me way deeper I was experiencing anxiety attacks before I left the hospital and so I did get on medication again that second time um but you know several months into it after that I was really struggling with well I was reflecting on that first experience when I was standing in front of my mirror as a missionary and when the Lord told me, you have important work to do in this life. And I just, I dropped to my knees and I said, Lord, how am I supposed to do the work that you need me to do when I am completely non-functional I can't even take care of myself. I can barely take care of my two kids. And I just, I don't know how to do what I've been called to do. And when I was in that moment on my knees pleading with the Lord, I heard another voice also penetrate my heart saying, if you write a book about this, I will teach you the steps out. And when I received that, I... I just lit up inside because not only could I be taught directly from God about how to climb out of this, but this handbook would become something that I could also share with others that they could be able to learn from and find their own way out too. And that really lit me up inside. That is very, (laughs) it's very, um, humbling to be in a place where you're just like I got nowhere else to go (laughs) like I and that's I think that's a critical place you know I'm glad that you told that story because that that's bringing to my mind the reality that um that we have to be in a place where we go to God with it um and I'm not saying that only applying you know, strictly religious um, philosophy, you know, or, or, or religion or only, you know, spending your time trying to build your relationship with God will bring you out of it. But my mom told me growing up, she said, you have to hurt bad enough to want to change. And that, that became a reality for me. I remember, um, finally getting to a place where I was like, I don't care what this does to my military career. And it ended it um, early, prematurely. Um, 
I don't care what it does. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And if that requires me letting people know that I'm not in a good place, then fine. Like, all right. And so the first stop that I made, well, so this is kind of how it came to the surface was I had answered a questionnaire um, from, it was called a post-deployment health assessment and I had answered it. And I had already determined that if they called me in, I wasn't going to minimize things anymore because not in my mind, I'd gone to God in prayer and I'm like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And he's like, well, then give it to me. And so I, you know, kind of put it on the altar, but, um, but I really wasn't at that point courageous enough to do anything about it. So then fast forward, I filled out the questionnaire, it, it raised red flags, they called me in and, and I didn't minimize anything. And then after it was over, I knew it was going to cause, uh, after they interviewed me, uh, the medical um, unit interviewed me, then I knew that it was going to get back to my command. And I just went back, back and sat down with my chief and my commander. I mean, here I am the second officer in a squadron of 60 people. And I've got to tell them like, Hey, I've got this problem, right? Like I had the operational responsibility over 60 or 50 of those 60 troops. Um, they were, you know, they were my troops and then I've got to go have this problem, but it really, it got to the point where I was like, I don't care anymore. I don't care if I don't have a career anymore. I just want to feel better. And I remember sitting in my therapist's office crying and saying, I don't care what it takes. I just want to feel better. And, and then telling the Lord that over and over and over again. And, and in that, I, I think that that was the beginning of, of starting to, to kind of climb out of it. Yeah, you totally hit on an important point that we need these moments of inspiration to guide us. And it doesn't always come from prayer. It can come from a therapist. It can come from a friend. It can come from a song you hear on the radio. It can come from anywhere. And it's those moments of clarity where you know this is a piece of the puzzle. And as you collect these puzzle pieces, you know, we're rarely given the full answer or, you know, the whole solution all at once. But we're given these puzzle pieces that when you start to put them together, things unfold. You're given the next step and we need those pieces to come together and to be able to make it to the next step and to fulfill our full potential. And that's what happened to me as I started on this path of um, moving forward, collecting my thoughts and writing this book. Um, the next piece that came for me as I was figuring out, okay, so how do I learn about this? The thought came to me, start interviewing your friends and family that you know have struggled with this. I'm a big believer of the concept, um, let's see, how does it go? You're wise if you learn from your own experiences, but you're even wiser if you learn from others, from other people's experiences, right? And so to me, um, being able to learn from other people's experience combined with analyzing my own experience and connecting the dots, it magnified my ability to see the patterns. And it was insane how, well, first of all, how healing it was to 
share these experiences, to hear what other people were going through and that neither of us were alone. We were in this together, figuring this battle out. But the thing, after I had done, you know, six or seven of them, the patterns started coming out as clear as day. And I could, I was all of a sudden starting to see how depression works on a much deeper level. So it was incredible when I was able to see those patterns coming out. It was just as if I was learning how to analyze the enemy. Just like when you're watching a football play, you know, like the coach analyzes the opposing teams. He watches their moves and plans ahead of time how they're going to counteract their typical plays. And as in Tyson's experience, correct me if, I wrong, if I'm wrong, but I think that a very critical aspect of military maneuvers is learning how the adversary operates. Yep. Um, I, I totally, I can totally concur with that. I think that that's a little bit of what I talked about when I was talking about um, being at treatment. Um, and just hearing other guys' stories. Um, it's, I, I got to use a movie line. I told you, I warned you I would do this. Um, awesome. Remember in Nacho Libre, uh, when he invites Nacho, uh, yeah, when Nacho invites um, the sister to his room for toast. Yes. And she, she lists off all of her favorite things, right? And then he's like no way everything you just said is my favorite thing to do too every day right <laughs> so i had that moment and i i try actually I did kind of laugh and i think i shared it with the guys like why are you laughing i'm like because just this nacho libre moment came to my mind but it's exactly what happened at treatment right like the guys are saying um, what you know, what they've been through, the challenges they have, how they just want to run away from social situations, especially in big crowds, you know, just all the things that resonated with me. And I was like, no way, right? It's just another level of that like empowerment where you're like, I'm not the only one that struggles with this. I hate going to the grocery store, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know. And so, and, and then there were things that they struggled with that I didn't. Um, and that I did later, you know, and I, it's not that I took them on as a sympathy. I don't think, I think that it's, it just hadn't surfaced yet for me that way. And then it did. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember Oscar talked about this, or I remember, you know, one of my buddies from treatment. It was kind of like a heads up, like, oh, hey, this might come into play later down the road. Yeah. Like this could happen for you too. Yep. Which helped because when you have like warnings or you've already heard other people express their experiences, then it doesn't seem so distressing. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was told about this. It, you know, I, I can get through this. They did too. Yep. Yeah. I remember, um, just, I get, uh, I still do. Uh, I still struggle with with overstimulation, too many things happening. I can't, it's hard for me to sit in, a room where like maybe there's a big banquet and a lot of people are having conversations at tables and there's all of that feedback, that auditory feedback going on. Mm -hmm. I can't like my mind tries to process all that. So I have to step away. I was at a recent uh, event for my niece or for my cousin's daughter. Um, 
and there was just too many conversations and it wasn't it wasn't anything anyone was doing and that wasn't an issue for me before um and then since i've come home from treatment it's it's been it, it was kind of an issue but it's gotten a lot worse and so what i realized was is that i was taught a strategy by one of my buddies that they would just go to a quiet place and they also taught their family members uh he taught his family members hey when i just walk away from a situation the worst thing you could do is chase me down and be like what are you doing why are you out here why aren't you in there with everybody else right like just give me 10 minutes and i'll reset and then i'll probably be back and if i'm not back well i guess i'm done and i think that that just being okay with that and then having people around you understand that that's what you need to do in order to reset was so liberating i remember coming back from treatment and I told my wife, I go, when things on the milieu at the unit, when I was inpatient, got too loud, because they did. I mean, you have a bunch of vets when we're not in treatment, we're usually sitting around talking and things that actually get pretty crass. And that's usually when I left, because I didn't want to be around that crassness. But um, I would go and lay on my bed. And actually, do you know where I went? I went and laid there and I I went to a holy place. I went to the temple um, in my mind. Um, And so like those experiences that other people taught me i mean i'll forever be grateful to my buddy who who told me just go to your quiet place wherever it is you got to go there as soon as the the temperature rises and your anxiety is about to hit the roof and you're you're ready to go hercules on somebody or uh the hulk right like you got to go somewhere quiet and and reset and so i did that a lot when i got home i'd just go and lay on my bed Sometimes I'd put a pillow over my face and just drown out all stimulation, including light, and just sit there for, lay there for a little bit, sometimes for half an hour. And then I could come out and be okay. Sometimes I'd have to lay on the floor. So those are all things that I learned from being around other people who struggled similarly. Yes. And there are so many incredible tools or tactics or, you know, just tips that we can learn both from other people and um, I, I mean, I've done countless, like hundreds and hundreds of hours of research now. <laughs> and I am so excited to be able to have this platform to start sharing some of the things that I've learned through my journey that can really help everyone to find what works for them. And wow, that, is, that is so key. I'm so glad you said that. Like, just like when you said before, and I don't want to go too long because I know we need to wrap this up, but remember how you were like at the very beginning, you're like, um, yeah, I would just tell people to think more positively. Um, I remember uh, one of our favorite, one of my favorite uh, leaders, um, you know, uh, ecclesiastical leaders said, uh, he said, (laughs) he said, walking around and telling people to just start thinking more positively um, that are dealing with depression um, is like telling somebody with a broken leg or who's had a heart attack, just walk it off. You know what I mean? Like, and so, so that's a liberating thing. And, and it's so helpful to have somebody else who's been through that. I mean, that's where I learned most of the things that I learned, just like you was talking to other people who'd experienced very similar things, if not the same thing. And then learning how they dealt with it, how, what they did. And my tactic, um, I took what my did, um, and I, 
I tailor made it for myself, right? Like I couldn't just go lay down. He would just go lay down and then his mind would go blank. Well, I have ADD. So my mind goes a hundred miles an hour. And I had to go literally to a place, a sacred place for us, um, for me, um, in, in my mind. And that's, that's where I would go. So I took what somebody else taught me. And then, like you said, I, I tailored it toward me and what I needed. And that's, that's what, so I guess what you're saying really is that we're, this is like a smorgasbord. We're just going to throw all kinds of stuff uh, out in front of people, like a, like a buffet line. Right. And it's, you just walk up and pick what, uh, what suits you and what, what tastes good. Yes. And I think it's really important to mention as well, like I was saying, as I was interviewing people and doing all these countless hours of research, um, there are patterns and there are similarities between not only people's stories, but the path in and the path out. And I believe that those broad steps are similar or the same for everyone but the way that they are accomplished can be done in so many different ways. And because everyone's, you, like everyone has their own unique story and a unique combination of contributing factors, right? Like even though you and I have had similar experiences as far as like the overall broad picture of mental illness, the contributing factors were the same. Uh, sorry, were very different. Like yours like you've had to struggle with coping with abuse and PTSD I I mean like just the trauma of witnessing the things that you have in combat like those are not things that I have had to work through per se but many of the same principles apply and so that's what I really hope to be able to do here is to teach the principles and then just like you said Tyson with this smorgasbord of like so many different ways to apply it like we will give as many suggestions and ideas as we can and take what works for you and please discard what doesn't (laughs) and just tailor it to you and be able to walk the same principles or the same steps that we'll be able to teach to guide you out, but through your own unique way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and if you have ideas to share, um, yeah, put, throw them up as a comment. Um, yes. uh, the contact info will be on there. Contact one of us. Um, you know, that would be, cause there's, we don't know everything and, um, yep. <laughs> and you, you, part of your mission, right? Because Amy talked about this at the beginning, part of um, very well could be helping other people around you through the same things that you've been through. In fact, that's generally with the way my experience, the way that it works. But um, it's the whole grace for grace thing without going too deep into that, where when you help somebody else out, um, you're benefited as well. Um, there's no, it's a double-edged sword. You, it, it cuts both ways and you get help at the same time. So it behooves us to, to help each other through this process and, and not any one of us has, has all the knowledge. Yes, totally. I am learning all the time, like all the time. <laughs> 
about I learned new stuff. ways to deal with it. <laughs> exactly. I learned stuff in this conversation today that I'm like, oh, wow, that's huge, right? And and this is just you and I as as friends, as as friends, as brother and sister, right? Sitting down and just you know, and talking our way through uh, our experiences, and and in that, I'm like, oh, I feel empowered. I feel enlightened, right? Like that power and enlightenment can come for you as well as you, as you not only learn and apply, but as you share um, what you've learned. Yes. So please join the conversation. We do want to hear from you. I will post in, you know, the podcast notes or however you put anything that we need to get in information that regards the podcast to you. Um, I will post the link for the Facebook group that I host. It's called Alive Again, just like this podcast. And you are welcome to join the group, start asking questions or sharing your stories and experiences. We want to hear from you. And I'll also say if you would like to do an interview and talk with me on the podcast, I would love to hear your story too. So don't hesitate to reach out. I feel very strongly that it is my life mission, at least one of my life missions, to help people out of the darkness of depression and into their full identity, power, and purpose. So please, like, you can reach out and both of us are here to support you through the podcast and personally. So we, with that, we will wrap this up. Thank you so much, Tyson, for your insight and sharing so vulnerably your stories here. Um, I am just super grateful uh, to you too. I'm grateful that, uh, that we met and that we have this opportunity to share because I'll just say this, you know, we, we don't realize the impact that things can have. And, and I belong to a couple of Facebook groups for veterans and Amy, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody reach out in desperation, like I'm going to end it. And literally within minutes, that person's receiving, you know, tens and then hundreds of messages saying, reach out to me, talk to me. And and then that person comes back on the next day and they're like, hey, I'm lots better today. I got help. I called my counselor. My mom drove me to the hospital, whatever um, yes. they needed to do to, to make it another day. And sometimes, you know, that's that's what it's all about. So if it's reaching out to us, reach out. If it's reaching out to somebody else, reach out. But let's get the darkness into the light and let's help each other get through this life. Yes. We are meant to succeed, and it is our destiny to be able to fulfill our life missions. God is on our side. There are a lot of people out there who are willing to and meant to help us out. So thank you so much, Tyson, again, for being on here. It's been a real pleasure, and we really look forward to giving more Uh, sharing more of our experiences in future podcasts so stay tuned (laughs) all right talk to you later everybody yep thank you bye this has been the live again podcast if you enjoyed this episode or really resonated with you please share it with other people who might have come to mind that could benefit from hearing this episode as well 
And as promised, here is the blooper of an example of one of the many technical difficulties that we had in the first go-around of recording this podcast. So enjoy, and we'll see you on episode two. That was the second thing that I learned, was that it wasn't it was going to have to this battle going to live in Absolutely. Is that someone else's car out there? <laughs> yes. So awesome. And I, it is so awesome right at the like right at the crux. Right at the peak. And it's yeah, it's totally fine because we can I can redo okay. that part. Yep. So sorry. <laughs> The, the guy's like trying to figure out how to get his car to stop beeping. I'm like, wow, Satan is working overtime. <laughs>